Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful tonight because as people that you have gathered in the sanctuary, we come because we seek your face, we want to know you, we want to hear you, we want to share our lives with each other. I want to pray that you'll open my mouth and release me to testify to the goodness of God, the power that has brought many from darkness into the light, from a stranger to a child of God, I I say thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start by being accountable to the church in the UK that 140 years ago, men came to my country then without a jet, without trains, without buses, They went on the boat, walked up from the coast up to my country over a thousand miles to bring the good news. 140 years ago, we were people who were strangers to one another, killing each other, didn't know God fully. As Africans, we are notoriously religious, but we did not know the God, the Father of our Lord. And they planted the church in my land. That church was met with a lot of resistance only a few years after that because the then king who invited the missionaries to come to my country died. His son, who took over, was very much influenced by other forces that for the first time we began to see martyrdom of men who believed in Christ They were mutilated, they were burnt. And to date, we have a shrine in my country for Uganda matters. Third June of the year, people come and remember their testimony. My country has gone through so many, many fires of that. You had the fire of martyrdom. You also had the fire of revival in the 1930s. A revival started in Rwanda, came through the south of my country, burnt into Kenya and Tanzania, then called the East African Revival. And that fire brought people back to God, and the church became alive again. But we also had the fire of persecutions. You'll remember a man by the name Idi Amin came to power in 1971 through a coup. A Muslim president killed between 400 to 500,000 Ugandans who were fed to the crocodiles in the Nile and in the lakes, majority of whom were Christians. And then he ended up by killing the archbishop of our church in 1977, February 16th, in cold blood. That's a fire that swept through our country. But today's fire is different. Today's fire is political, and some of it is religiously inspired by a movement of the Islamic 
expansion, which is not only in my country, but is a, a global thing. So the church at the moment is under fire as well. But let me give you my own accountability. That because of the word of God, my father became baptized, confirmed into the faith. And our, our area in Uganda was evangelized by the African Inland Mission, which was basically Baptist. They brought the word. They taught the word. But my father, when he met Christ, when he became a believer, a church member, then he elapsed and took another wife. So my father became a polygamist. I grew up within a polygamist, a polygamous family, which in my country is, is, is allowed, but for believers, it is a very big curse, as I will tell you, because my mother and the other woman never smiled to each other, and I watched it. I saw how my father was struggling to kind of hold the women together and shut them down, but he would try, but he failed. And so even as a young person, I vowed in my heart, when I get old enough to marry, I'll marry only one wife. I saw a struggle that was hard for a man to equally love two wives and love them equally. It was hard. So as I grew up, he brought me to the, to the knowledge of the word of God because that he would ask us to go to church. We went to church. He bought me a Bible as I began to read and I began to read my Bible when I was very young. I preached my first sermon when I was 11 years old. But I did not know the God I was worshiping. I went with everybody else and worshiped. Until I was 18, I was training to be a teacher. An evangelist came to my college and preached the living gospel that shook my college. And I was one of the victims. I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life alone. I was in my dorm. I had been tortured for three nights and I couldn't sleep. I was tired, I was frustrated because I came from a background of addiction. I was addicted to alcohol and to marijuana and all those stuff at that young age. So I gave my life to Jesus Christ by myself at my bed. I was kneeling by my bed. I asked Christ to come into my life because I was tired. He did. He came into my life. And from the time I met Jesus Christ and I tried to follow him like I'm trying to follow him now, all I can tell you, my dear beloved, that Jesus is a good teacher. And Jesus is a very good friend. And also Jesus can put up with many mistakes he did for me. I wasn't a very good student, but he's a very good teacher, very patient, very gentle. I became a teacher. I taught as a believer and a teacher. It made the whole difference in my attitude and my love for the children I taught and for my work with the rest of the people. I saw that Jesus taught me to be a teacher because he's a teacher himself. I taught for four years. And within four years, I had a rapid promotion. I was a classroom teacher, I was a deputy head, and I was a head within four years. And in four years, he then shifted me from teaching, called me to go into full-time ministry, a thing I hated with all my life. In my church, we put the collar, the dog collar on. 
When I learned I was coming to a Baptist church, then I, I said, okay, that's fine. I will not put on my collar. I'll just, I'll just be like them. I did not like the dog collar because I thought it was very restrictive. I thought the church would collar you and tether you and take you wherever they want. So I was a free-spirited young man and I wanted to be a free preacher. I wanted to be a free, a free man. And God said, no, go and get trained into a theological college because I want to use you. I was like Jonah, you know the story of the man who was told to go to Nineveh and he took off to go elsewhere and never got to where he wanted to go. I resisted God. I'm not even sure. Some of us, God speaks to us perhaps pretty early, but it's very easy to resist God because many, many times for me, I did not want God wanted me to go to. I did not want it. Finally, he, he won the ground. I went into training. I did four years in my theological college back home, I was ordained a pastor in my church. I saw what I see many young people in my country struggle with, and that was my problem as well. Who should I marry was my problem. My other problem was, where will I get the dowry for paying for the wife if I get one? And God answered that question for me. My uncle offered for me all the dowry, but I didn't have the girl. I had a problem with these girls because I chucked one after another. Now when I wanted a wife, I began writing back to them and they told me negative answers and I was a bit disappointed. And I said to myself, God, if there was no woman, why did you give me the dowry then? And eventually God brought Phoebe on my path. Godly woman, very young. She was 18, I was 23, we got married very early. But I saw, I saw God who gave Eve to Adam is the God who gave Phoebe to me. A believer, a prayerful woman, a godly woman walked with me to date. We are still walking together. Are we fighting? We haven't fought. Do we disagree? Yes, we do. How do we solve disagreement? By asking for forgiveness. Forgive me, I'm wrong. Now, in my culture, a man will never apologize to a woman. But Jesus taught me to apologize to my wife. The children God has given us all knew Jesus Christ. One is, is in Philadelphia in America. She's 44. She's Helen. Another one is in San Antonio, Texas. He's coming to 43. Bob. Now, Helen and Bob are names of Irish couple who came to my country as teachers. And if some of you, God is calling you to come and teach in my country, you can come as teachers. And Helen taught me how to play the guitar. And Bob, Robert, and Helen were my best men and matron at our wedding. Irish. That's my Irish connection. They are still here. They are in this country. I'm hoping I shall see them. But when we came into my family with the help of this Irish couple, uh, I just thought, God is a God of the nations. And I think we need to look at God not as a territorial God or a parochial God. God is a God of the nation. So these Irish people came into my life. Even as I was training as a teacher, 
My teacher who trained me in English was an Irish lady. The principal of my college was an Irish man, a couple. They are still alive in Belfast, and I hope I will see them. Christ has meant a lot in my growth as a person because he began to help me into leadership. I became a leader not only in school but also in my church. From 1979 to 2012, I went through all the rapid promotion in my church until the top, and there being no other, I stopped, and I resigned, and I gave, I gave up. <laughs> I am now a free man. But this is what I learned, that, that to lead, you have to have a heart of compassion. You have to have a heart of love. That when you love people, it is easy for you to lead. And Jesus taught me, that the people that he put me to lead are to be people who should see my example of life and see God in me. I learned that it is important to be humble before God, before people can associate with you in leadership. I also learned something I want to share with you. I have a family, as I've already told you, and God has helped me to understand that the family I have is not just for my own children. He's going to bring his children into my family. In my country, four children for a normal man like me would be too few. But God told me to have four children with my wife because we'll bring other children in our lives. So we've looked at countless people, looked after them, educated them. When they're free, they can go, and people keep coming to our home because we use our home as a stabilizing basis for many very homeless people in my home. My country is full of orphans. And they're looking for Christian families where they can be stable, where they can find love, where they can walk knowing that I have a father and I, I have a mother. In my country, many young people call me dad. Dad is my title. And they call me dad because they feel if they're with me, they get the security, the love, the hug that a father should give. And that's a ministry too. That's a ministry too. Let me finish. In my country today, we are lacking leaders. I know some of you, God is calling you to come to us. May I ask you to come? Come and walk alongside our young generation who are being raised by God and walk with them to help them to be leaders for tomorrow. Why? Because in 1979, an Australian clergy came to my theological college where I was a student. He taught for one year and he came back to London, Holy Trinity Brompton in central London. And they asked him, what is the need of the church in Uganda? He told them they need leadership. So what do you want us to do? He said to them, could you bring them into England and train them and send them back? So they asked him, who do you have in mind? He said, Henry Rombi and his family. So Henry Rombi came to England in 1980 to 1983, St. John's Nottingham, and trained there. And then I was sent back to my country. They did not know. They were training the future Archbishop of the Church of Uganda. 
They did not know that they were investing into the leadership that will be very well used by God in my country. And so I went back to my country. I have continually raised leaders. There is a desperate need for leaders today. And I don't think it's only in my nation. The world over needs very, very godly leaders, leaders full of integrity. Where is the Christian contribution today in leadership is my question. And I ask myself this question because I know any nation, any place rises or falls depending on quality of leadership. And I think Christians have a role to play. And when I go into colleges and I go into high schools and I go into universities, I am challenging our people to take leadership very seriously. The second thing that we see in my own nation is this whole conflict, wars, and struggles, killings, and people locking horns. Again, there is area for the church to play a role there because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We have the ministry of reconciliation, which is a biblical mandate on the church. So that wherever we are, we should be men and women sowing the seed of peace. Because one of the armor of God is the gospel of peace that we should put on our feet so that wherever we are, we are planting the seeds of peace. My role today is to bring warring groups of people together, and they are political people, they are tribal people, and help people to understand how to live together and you know where the influence comes from? It is from Christ who teaches us to be agents of peace. We are a country that is in conflict. We are a country which is in the making. We have neighbors that are fighting. Southern Sudan to the north is at war. DRC Congo is at war. And we have had a, a recent one which was in Rwanda, but now they are stable and okay. We are landlocked and we need, as we are, an open country. People come, we have many refugees. But the church has a role to sow the seed of peace. Needless to say, even in your own country, you've gone through so many struggles, the church has a role to play there. And I walk and I travel with a team of people under the Interreligious Council of Uganda. I am the chair to the Peace and Reconciliation Committee. Now Christ taught me that, to be a man of peace, to be a man who speaks peace into people's lives. Why am I saying all these things? I'm saying all these things is because Christ's mandate of the Great Commission is upon us. The world is struggling. We have the message. I receive it, I'm passing it on to other people. You have received it, I pray. You have the mandate to pass it on to other people. Jesus Christ said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make all nations my disciples. I believe, as I talk to young people like you, all of you are young people, at least. Jim is out, but all of you are young people. I do know that your life has got a mission. And the question you want to ask is, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? How can you use me to bless my nation, my family, my community? 
how can I be an agent of your mission to the world in which we are? And I pray this week I'll be with you in this part of, of, of UK. And God will challenge many people to ask this question, Lord, what can you do with my life? Why am I on earth? Why now and not a hundred years ago? I believe God wants to answer you those questions. And it is my prayer that you will say yes to the Lord, no matter how tough the calling may be. I was preaching in Entebbe. Entebbe is where our international airport is. I was preaching in a house during those very dark days. The secret service of the government walked into that and they put us under arrest. I was a theological student. They locked us up with my little congregation of 11 people. And the crime was I was a preacher. And at that point, the word was not allowed to be preached easily. Thank God for your freedom of, of faith here and practice. We saw people being killed. We had agonizing pain and cry of people. A man was brought right in front of our cell where we were locked in and was beaten using hippopotami hip, whip until his buttocks were bleeding and they beat him deliberately for us to see. Do you know that there are, there are countries where to be a Christian is a crime? Do you know that you are in such a free country to practice your faith and you will never know how long this freedom can be. But through the persecution of our time, the faith exploded. And you know what the father said? One father in history said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the gospel. I challenge you to take your mandate seriously. And I challenge you to allow God use you when he can still use you in the prime of your energy. That if you can invest in him, I'm telling you, there is a lot of dividend. Thank you so much indeed for allowing me to come and give my testimony. And I felt like we can begin to connect now. And we shall meet again and I will, I will teach, I will preach. I'm a preacher. For now, I just wanted a long self-introduction for what Christ has meant to me. Let me pray. Father, I want to bless your name because of your people. And I thank you because... These, your people, whom you have called in this sanctuary tonight, are more than the 12 disciples you called, minus one, the 11 plus Matthias went out and turned the world upside down. Why? It was because they obeyed you and because they were willing to go for you. Today, the world is crying, beginning from this uh, big island of Ireland. Quite a number of people would love to know, would love to be touched, would love to listen. And some of them may resist, but deep down in their hearts, they're asking questions which are not answered. Over in, in UK, in, the, in England and Scotland, in Europe today, in many parts of Africa, in many parts of Europe, in Asia, your gospel must rise up. And I believe the generation that can take it seriously is this generation. Their ancestors did it before. I believe the time has also come. And you are calling us. I come back to give a testimony because I am the result of the missionary effort of their ancestors. And so I come to challenge them. That there is great need out there and there is great need in here. 
Lord, will you loosen them and free them to be the people you want to use them, not in their strength, but in your strength. And may your blessings rest upon each of our lives to be a blessing to our neighbors, to our families. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.